Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Everybody doing well? Like that new snow out there? And uh, watch out because it's super slick, isn't it? Um, well, good. Welcome everybody online as well this morning at the, at the early service. Um, Welcome those of you who are visiting with us or back with us. We have been uh, a long time in the book of Revelation. We're getting close to the end. Uh, we started in Matthew 24, which is all the discourse where Jesus talks about um, what's going to happen in the end. Then we moved into Revelation um, all last fall, and we should be wrapping up this book in uh, sometime this spring. Um, but hopefully that uh, we'll see how it goes uh, along the way here. we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be in chapter 15. Uh, this morning, if you want to find your way uh, to chapter 15 of the book of Revelation, if you are just joining with us, uh, and if you've never looked at the book of Revelation, I just encourage you to uh, to dive in with us. You can go back and listen to the previous messages online and uh, dive into this book. As we said before, it's the last book in the Bible. It's the only book in the Bible that comes with a promised blessing for those who read it, listen to it, take hold of it, obey it. Right, uh, and so this gives us. Uh, it kind of brings the entire Bible, old and new, together in this uh, beautiful picture of where things are headed. Um, especially with everything going on right now in the world, we have to dive in here and find encouragement. Now, um, for many, I talk to this book is intimidating. It is for all of us in, in one way or another. But uh, I think my encouragement for all of us is, and hopefully, we're going to dive into a little bit of that this morning that uh, our encouragement has to be, if we look at these things, we've got to look at them with the, with the eyes of, of the gospel. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about this idea, chapter 15, we're going to use it to help uh, show us what this big idea Jesus says in John 17, which we'll look at a little bit, um, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, there's a lot in that statement. And uh, Jesus says that uh, I... I when he's praying his prayer to the Father at the very end, in John 17, he says that his prayer is that, Lord, um, I know I'm not calling you to ta- asking you to take them out of the world, but that you would keep them in the world and keep them from the evil one. Now that's a big prayer. Um, and there's a lot wrapped up into this. What is the world? Um, how do we live in it? And uh, how are we not to be of it? And all of these things, well, to answer those questions, we have got to have an understanding of the Old Testament. We have to have an understanding of what God is doing in history. And we ultimately have to have an understanding of the gospel itself, of what Jesus has, has done for us, right? And uh, so th- this morning, uh, I want to um, uh, dive in and look at this idea of the lens of the gospel. Um, how do we do that? How do we, how do we, um, let me step back. We'll, we'll come back to that. How do we answer this question? How, how do we become obedient, right, to what Jesus calls us to, to be in the world, but not of the world, as his people, as his church? Um, and I'm going to just propose this morning um, one primary way, and, and I hope that if you miss everything else this morning, that you'll let this sink in, you'll take time to really pray about it, think about it, um, but that we're to look at everything through the lens of the gospel. 
Okay, the way that we do this, the only way I can do this, is that I look at everything with, through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of what Jesus has done for me on the cross and through his resurrection. In other words, I'm not going to understand any of what's going on in the Bible ultimately, or I'm not going to be able to take in everything going on in the world around me right, in a healthy way unless my lens of how I look at it is through the filter of the gospel. Um, and so I want to break that down. That's kind of just uh, chapter 15 is a transition tr- chapter. And um, before we get to the last bold judgments, um, so I want to drill in on this issue. Many of the things that in this chapter uh, call for us, man, how do we, how do we deal with, with these things? I want to start us, the. <clears throat> you might just write down uh, Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and turn there. Jesus says this, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, and in his teaching, he makes this <clears throat> big uh, teaching. Uh, there. He starts out in verse 19, talking about, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a big statement, isn't it? Where my treasure is, what I value most, what I worship most, what I spend my attention on most, that what's my treasure? What do I uh, give value to most? Um, that's where my heart is. And then he goes into these verses about the eye, about our eye. And he says this in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye, what I see is the lamp. Right. In other words, what we see comes in. Listen to what Jesus says. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he ends and he moves the next thing. We think he changes topics, but actually this is all together. He says, no one can serve two masters for either one will hate one and love the other, or one will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon, money, is, is not just money that he's talking about here. It's the things of the world. It's the what First John says in chapter 2, that it's the desires of the eyes. It's the desires of the flesh. It's the pride of life. That's the world. And the world is constantly trying to be the lens of how you see. And when we're saved, when Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes inside us, it changes how we see things. That's part of what this transformational process is of becoming a believer. And if I don't, then there is no salvation. If I don't see things differently, if I don't think about things differently, then there's no evidence of the Spirit of God actually in me. Right And doing redemption and transforming impact. And so how I see things right, is, is going to determine the health of my entire body ultimately. And so the big question for us this morning is, are we, because it, let's just face it, through our very visual, more and more visual world we live in today, is wow, what is coming into my eyes? How am I seeing things? Not only what am I taking in, Right, but how am I actually seeing things um, with everything going on between the Ukraine coming out of COVID? All we could just go on and on about the different things today. Um, the question for us is: What lens are you looking through to get wisdom and understanding today for what is going on just in your own life? Right, 
Another verse I give you, 1 Corinthians 1.24. I love this. To those who've been called, if you know Jesus, if he's called your name, if you are saved, if you're a follower of Christ, a Christian, he says to those who are called, he says Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hold on to that. Anybody need the power of God in your life for certain things? Anybody need the wisdom of God in your life? I find myself needing both of those more and more. Lord, Jesus, I need your power for this situation. I need your wisdom for this situation, right? Um, that's the lens that we have to put on. And so what I want to do is take that lens and I want to apply it now into chapter 15 of the book of Revelation um, for us to, uh, to make sense about what um, John is talking about here in the apocalypse in Revelation 15. A little background for those of you just joining us in Revelation, where are we at in the journey? Um, this uh, journey begins with, uh, remember, Jesus giving John, who was exiled, Apostle John, on the island of Patmos. He is an old man, and he has faithfully served the Lord. He has been persecuted. He oversees a whole group of churches in, in Asia, and uh, he's kind of a father figure, an apostolic pastor to them, and he's been exiled to, this, to the island, and, and God gave him this revelation uh, to write, and obviously to give to his churches. Uh, and Jesus comes to him. The first part of this is this incredible glorious vision of who Jesus is now, right presently, at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling at God's right hand. We move into the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia, which seven being the complete number is the message to the whole church that we're to heed and listen. What is the Spirit saying to the church? And again, we cannot answer that question without a lens of the gospel in the sense of how we look at world events, how we look at things in our own lives, how we look at things in our own community is the lens of the gospel. And then we move from there, and he starts into three sets of judgments. The first are the seal judgments. Then we move to the trumpet judgments. We've moved through those, and this is the introduction to the last judgments, the bold judgments, when God finishes his work of justice uh, in this earth before the new heavens and earth come back. Um, to be where he brings by his justice against the world system, against the world, all those things that we talked about when we define what the world is that is against God. He's bringing his justice to to complete that, um, to complete that work. And during this whole process, so that his church, his people, the bride of Christ, the church, the family of God, would make herself ready for the return of Christ. And uh, in chapter 15, we're in this period of, of an interlude in this book right before we're going to be introduced to the seven bowls, but we'll hit those um, the next time in chapter 16. And so with that said, let me read here, chapter 15, the book of Revelation. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Um. Does that language sound familiar to you? Remember, Jesus on the cross said, it, it is finished. Now, this is a different, it is finished. And uh, just, uh, I'll come back to this, but I don't want to miss this, folks, because this couldn't be any more important. Jesus' first coming to this earth, he accomplished on the cross, he took our wrath upon himself. The love of God was that great, that glorious. He came to redeem us and save us from just wrath that is due all of us because of our sin. 
It is a free and glorious gift to anyone who will receive Jesus. His grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. And, and, and who becomes, receives him, right? Receives that grace into their heart. And at that moment, the Spirit of God comes, seals us. And we are set apart as his child. Free, protected. No one can snatch us from his presence or his hand. And completely covered from uh, the justice of God. When Jesus sees us, or when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees that we've been washed. We've been white, right, by the blood of Christ. But there's a second coming of Jesus. And that second coming of Jesus, when he returns, right, with heaven, the armies of heaven, to bring his justice to the earth, to those and to a world who rejected his first offer of salvation. Does that make sense? To reject the God of the universe. To reject his free glorious gift. His incredible sacrifice on the cross. Where we are covered. Then it's basically I'm saying that no I will stand before God. And I will uh, be the judge of my life. And I will plead my case before God. Um, And that's not going to go too well. And this is the second coming. This is the finishing of the wrath of God. His ultimate justice. For him to be a loving God. He has to be a just God. And we'll come back to how do we understand these big, huge themes, right? Verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image. Those who, those are believers who had conquered the beast and the image. This is all the children of God and the number of his name. Standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Check that out. And they sing the song of Moses. So anybody who really wants to be a worship leader, you will one day. It would be awesome to, what are going to be the harps of God? How about that? Man. Um, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses was the song in the Old Testament that Moses led the people of God when God delivered them out of Egypt. Everything in the book of Revelation, folks, it goes back to the whole, why did it, over and over again God tell God's people, remember, remember right, what I did for you in Egypt. It is a picture. All the ten plagues, everything else is a historical picture of what God is going to do in the future. Right? Those were God coming down, judging the world, the Egyptian world system, and bringing plagues to what? To hopefully awaken people's hearts and minds to look to God. And to look to his forgiveness and his covering, which was what well, in the last plague, which was what is the solution? What is God's solution? It is the sacrificial lamb. And in Egypt, you had to sacrifice the lamb. I put the blood before your, your door. The death angel came, right? And when saw the blood, it went over because they had faith in God's lamb. And the lamb of God is Jesus. And his blood has been shed once and for all. That's the glory of the gospel, folks. The glory of the gospel. And so they sang as they were delivered out of this by God's mighty hand. And that's connected with the picture of the song of the Lamb. All of God's redeemed singing this glorious uh, praise to Jesus. Um, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Do we believe that? Do we believe his ways are just and true? Those go together. To have something truthful, it must be just. To have something loving, it must be just, right? He's a holy God. Will, uh, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts. 
have been revealed. I'm going to save the last part of 15 because it connects with 16. We'll, we'll deal with those when we hit 16. Um, man, there's, a, there's so much here. Uh, your righteous acts have been revealed. Um, and do we believe that? And that's what, obviously, Jesus is coming back to do. This is what this whole book is revealing for us. And so I want to just take three questions for us to dive into to break this down this morning. Uh, and this idea of a lens, how are we looking at things? Because there's some tough stuff. The idea of wrath. Okay, so do we have a gospel lens for how we are looking at suffering, persecution, and wrath? In other words, am I looking at those things through the gospel or am I just freaking out? And, and again, for many people, when we talk about the wrath of God, this is why it hasn't been talked about in America because people recoil. Oh, that we just, that's just, oh, that's a judgment stuff. And, and over and over today, folks, people are moving, even in the church, away from the truth of God. And, and I just throw this out. And, and when we talk about things like suffering, persecution, and wrath, what goes on? Do you press into those things? Is there a sense of peace? Do you have the assurance of God's protection and saving of your life? Or is there a sense of fear? Is there a sense of great discomfort? Now, let's just face it. For all of us, if we're honest, these are big, deep issues. And there should be a sense of awe. There should be a sense of reverence that comes. There should not be a fear. If I know I've been redeemed, if I know Jesus, I know that no one can snatch me out of hands. I know that, that I am protected from all of the wrath of God. He took it on the cross for me. That when justice comes in the end, I'm saved from that. But I also know that God promises for those who follow him that persecution and tribulation will come. Acts 14, couldn't be any clearer. It just says, right, we, none of us will enter the kingdom of God without, the church that is, and Christians, followers of Christ, without suffering and tribulation. Now, how do I deal with that? How do I make sense of a loving God who allows his children, and we've read about it, we're going to read about it more, um, and we see it right here is, is, is in I saw by the sea, right? Um, this congregation, those who conquered the beast, its image and the number of its name. This is, again, the Antichrist, the world system and the world that comes in hostility right towards the church. Uh, the past example of that was Rome, right? That the early church saw as the beast, saw as the, uh, the kingdom that was against God. And we know the history of the persecution of the Christians um, as, it, as Rome moved into emperor worship and these other things, is that the early Christians defined that was a picture for us of the beast, of what the scripture is talking about. The world system, economics, along with, uh, uh, um, with a corrupt religion combined, right, that brings a hostility to the things of God and to God's people. And that hostility fleshes out in persecution, and even death, which we saw obviously gruesome things during the Roman Empire. And again, as I, I think it's important for us to understand, even today around the world, I could take it to China, to India, Middle East, to certain parts of Africa, right? Is that believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ are laying their life down um, for being a Christian. Not for some political thing, not for fighting for their independence as a nation. They're laying their life down and being martyred and killed for being a follower of Christ, okay? So how, this gospel lens, how do we see these things? And, um, and it's very important to understand the difference between suffering, persecution, and wrath, okay? So I want to deal, a lot of people have asked about the rapture, right? 
And um, some of you go, what's that? And uh, so there is this prevailing view in the church over the last several decades of teaching that talks about a pre-tribulation rapture. But what is that? Well, tribulation is a, is a period of time, some think seven clear years, right? Where all of this is going to happen in an intense period of time. It might be. Um, and uh, in the pre-tribulation rapture idea is this idea that has been popularized. If you've heard the Left Behind um, books and everything, that, uh, that the God is going to come, Jesus is going to come down in rapture. In other words, remove his children from the earth to take them to heaven before this a uh, lot of this kind of wrathful stuff happens that we're reading about in the book. Um, I'm just going to be very clear. I do not believe there's support in the Bible for that. If it happens that way, hallelujah, right? But I don't see it simply because all through the book of, of Revelation, you see believers are clearly being persecuted and martyred through this entire book. Um, and... Uh, with that said, let me just take us to John 17. And I hope that you'll take some time to really read this. John 17, folks, is one of the most profound. It's Jesus' last prayer to the Father. Um, it's his prayer to the Father before he's ascended. And let me just pick up in verse 14. And Jesus prays this. I have given them your word. Jesus praying to the Father. And the world has hated them because, don't miss this language here, of the world and what Jesus is talking about and his children, his, his, his disciples, and we'll see here in a minute, all those, us included, who come into faith of Jesus in the future. It says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Remember, Jesus came and says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Right? So there is a love, Jesus coming to sacrifice, to offer the world, right, this free, glorious gospel, right, uh, to save their hearts and their lives before the kingdom of God comes. But God, nowhere do we see that God, what the, uh, John does not mean that he loved the world system. He's talking about the people. Right in the world here. Here, Jesus is taking the idea of the world as the system of the world, right? Man's idea of the world. The, as I mentioned, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life, right? In other words, the system of the world that says we don't need God. We'll do uh, uh, things on our own through technology and science, right? So I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now that is about as clear language as possible. Jesus, nowhere do we see him removing his children from harm's way. Matter of fact, he calls us in the book of Acts to be his witnesses, to testify to a hostile world the love of Christ, what Christ has done to redeem us, transform us, change us, to understand the love of God, right? And to offer that freely to a world that is becoming more and more hostile, right, to it. And we're in the midst of that right now. Um, and that is what Jesus' call is for his, his children. He never calls us out of tribulation, Right? And even in suffering is a whole nother thing we could get into, right? In the sense of suffering is the evidence that there's a sin problem in this world. There's 
this is a broken world. We need a savior, right? And uh, we, in all through the scripture, it talks about suffering is what, what strengthens our faith. As we learn to trust in God, suffer through, trusting God's going to get us through, right? Persecution is there as a strengthening of our faith. It is a confirming of our faith. Are we going to stand with God or are we going to cave in to the pressures of the world? And the whole book of Revelation is laying this story out of the church that's alive during that time that is standing strong against the world system, the beast, and all those things that are becoming even more and more hostile in the end because it will be a world alignment, which we're going to get to that in a couple weeks, it's going to get wild. And um, wilder than it already is. Um, and he says this. Um, do not I, take them out, but to keep them from the evil one. Spiritual warfare. We have an enemy of our souls. There's a real enemy. There's a real devil. There's a real spiritual realm. Right? And uh, that's the main thing. And folks, that's part of the Lord's prayer. Right? Keep us not from, keep us from temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Right? You grew up praying that prayer, but we missed the magnitude of the larger picture of what, what is all there. They are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth, and you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I concentrate, consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. You can read on. chapter six. It's an amazing prayer. There's so much there. Remember, ultimately, God's, Jesus' role for us, His goal in the world is to unite everything in heaven and everything on earth all together in the end. And that's heaven coming back to this restored earth. And in, in the first part of that is Jesus coming His first time right, to redeem our souls, to awaken and start this transformation on the inside before the creation itself. In other words, it, it, nothing can be changed in our own lives until my heart's ultimately changed, right, for lasting real change. And the same thing goes, right, for all of creation. And let's start, right, with the heart um, if we want real transformation. All right, so this idea of the lens, right, of how we look at suffering and persecution. And so it's just this question, man, am I looking at these things when I think about wrath, do I just, oh, that's not a, a loving God can't be a wrathful God or whatever it is, is then you don't understand the gospel. If the wrath of God concerns you, you don't understand the gospel and you're not looking at the situation through the eyes of God and the eyes of the gospel that Jesus, the whole way I have to look at this is Jesus came and died. He took the wrath of the world on his shoulders. So for those who have faith in him, we are free from what we're reading here will happen the final justice in the world. Uh, if, if I struggle with persecution, if I struggle with my children and my family and other members being persecuted and, 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 and uh, uh, the suffering in the world, then I, am not, I don't understand the gospel. I don't understand the fallenness, the magnitude of sin, but the magnitude of the grace at the cross of what God covered in me. And saved me. Does this make sense? So if we're struggling. Especially with world events. And everything going on. As we see. Uh, what is it now? A million and a half people fleeing. Right? From Ukraine. Right? Refugees. The largest since World War II. Staggering. And the suffering that's going on. I mean. Do we look at that? And, and do we question the heart of God? Then you don't have a gospel lens. And understand the incredible love of God. He's given the solution. He's calling his church to give testimony. 
unto the nations. Why is the Great Commission go make disciples of what? The nations need to hear the glorious big gospel of what God is up to in the world and the solution to everything. And it always starts with the heart, ultimately, right? Um, so let's move on to the next one. Um, do we have a gospel lens for how we see the church in the nations? All right, I'm going to kind of feed into something we'll get into in chapters 17 and 18 um, on a little a bigger level. Um, but the gospel lens of how we see the church um, in the nations. Folks, what the book of Revelation makes very clear are, is that there's two realms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world are the nations of the world. In the kingdom of heaven is the church. And those who have become part of the family of God through the gospel. There isn't a third or fourth option. It's just two. And which one am I a citizen of? Which one am I giving allegiance to? Right? Which one is, am I seeing right, life through? Which one am I putting my hope in? Right? All, all of those, those things. Is, is, do I have a lens to look at what the church is? And, um, and the nations, right? As we just read the nations, we could go all through the Bible, folks. It talks about the nations raging. It talks about they will all one day bow before Jesus. He is the ultimate ruler. God is the one who created the nations. And they will bow before him. But until then, we know the nations are evil. And we've, we've talked about and showed that in the scripture and why that is um, in the past. And until the end comes, the nations will rage against God and his coming kingdom. And this is, we've seen pictures of this, right? Uh, that, that there's a man who is doing, you know, that we have a, a Putin kind of dictator character in our, quote, modern, sophisticated, enlightened era. It shouldn't shock anybody. It shouldn't. It's been the course of the entire world. And it will always be with us until the king of kings, the prince of peace, comes and makes it all right. And he reigns and rules the nations. As long as man is ruling the nations, the enemy is involved with that. And it's evil. It's corrupt. And those things are going to be aligned. And we'll get more into the details of what the book says. And folks, I just, I hope in amazement, there, there should be a hunger for the word of God to see how much is here. This lens, God has for you great wisdom, great power, and understanding the things of the world. The things that are coming, the things that are, and the things that have been. Right is for those who are hungry and who will, who will go after it and take time to dive in and encourage each other right, to go after this and let this be the lens of how we see things. So that this raises the question, what about America? And um, again, I'm just going to dabble in some things. We'll get heavy into this in chapter 17 and 18. Um, and again, remember, are we looking at America through the lens of the gospel? Or are you looking at America through a political lens? God is cleaning that out of his church right now. I want to repeat that again because this is absolutely important. Most of us, in our background, we have been taught more than we've ever realized to look at America through a political lens. Whether you grew up in a Democrat household or whether you grew up in a Republican household, is you have been taught more than you'd ever realize to look at this nation, the world and nations, with a political, worldly lens, not a gospel lens. And I, I just, this is where we have to dive in, folks, big time. 
And there's our commitment as Christ followers is ultimately to the word of God, not to a political system. Now, don't get me wrong. Is I have to be convicted. I need to let the word of God. My lens needs of the gospel needs to formulate how I vote. How I am a faithful citizen in the world is salt and light. But boy, is that lens truly the gospel? Is it the word of God informing me how I'm going to be involved in, in politics, local things and everything? Or is it really more my, my political lens that I've grown up under or been taught at school under? Um, or brainwashed, shall we say. Um, that's a big, big question, isn't it? And you know, this is where we have to really wrestle with one. This is why I have to encourage one another with the Bible. Man, is that, is that thought, is that how view of things, is it, man, is that kind of my political thing? Or is that truly how Jesus sees it? And let me tell you right now, any political party that harnesses, oh, Jesus would be this party, or Jesus would do this, you've just committed blasphemy. I'm going to say it again. If you try to think you can harness Jesus to a political avenue, you've committed blasphemy. Jesus is the king of all kings. He is not a part of any political system, any worldly system. He reigns above it all. All parties, all nations will bow before him. It's up to his people to get our eyes set on him ultimately to inform how we see what is going on. Does that that make sense? This is tough stuff. Even for me, because I'm telling you, I've got, I grew up under a certain system and that's how I like, oh, wait a minute. Is that my, is that my bringing up view? Or man, I need to take that to the gospel and let me, let me test Jesus. Is that, is that right? Does that, does that make sense, gang? America, what's the future of America? And folks, let me tell you, we need to love our nation. We need to serve our nation, right? Appropriately. But we, if you follow Jesus, then our first allegiance is to follow him. He's our savior. He's our Lord. It's his kingdom that we're a part of. It's our first allegiance ultimately. And so when it comes down to when certain laws of the land all right, uh, impede my, my worship of him, then guess what? I violate those laws because I bow to no one but Jesus. But until then, the scripture says we're to honor the emperor. We're to honor our governments. We're to be respectful of our leaders and our government systems and do the best we can to serve them. Remember, the the centurion that was saved in the book of Acts, his whole household was saved. The Spirit of God in his whole household. This was a Roman centurion of, these these were wicked people that had power and control and oppressed a people. He became a Christ follower. And Jesus didn't say, hey, lay your sword down, man, and, and you know, move away from No, he stayed a centurion, a godly. Now he's salt and light in the world, right? And uh, there's so many avenues of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Again, this gospel in. So America is ultimately here, gang, um, is America is a nation just like any other nations. We rejoice in certain things, that um, have been a blessing here, right? God bless America. Yes, please, Lord, bless us, right? Um, but here's the but in the, in the situation. It is a nation, and ultimately, and you see, folks, I just get a gospel lens on, is you see what's happening in America now is um, you see the coming together of an economic world system coupled with this very subtle but growing religious system altogether. Um, as Babylon is described in chapter 17 and 18, it is the city, it is the nation that the world gets rich from. It's the city, it's the nation that's exported its sexual immorality around the world. Um, I could go on and on. We'll get more into that. 
I just thought, what nation has exported more sexual immorality than any nation in the history of the world? And it's fascinating to me, folks. See, I'm going to put a gospel lens on. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, I'm going to dabble a little bit here, all right? Um, it's fascinating to me that you have a lot of Christians get behind a, a certain uh, a, a person. It could be anyone, but in our modern era that, and, 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 you know, it's amazing, right? We, we, we like certain things. But when you have leaders who adopt, right, uh, certain aspects of God's created order of morality, of family, of, of purity, holiness, because he's a holy God, right? And export those things. You know, it, it's sad to me. Just, we have to pull the curtain back. We... We, we talk about, you know, um, boy, women's rights, protections, uh, sex trafficking, all these things. But we export more pornography, filth, than any nation ever to the world. And when you travel the world, and those people who are holy, is that's exactly how they think of us. And don't think that, don't think that Hollywood is innocent in this. Right? Because I'm just speaking the truth here. There is no soft porn. It's porn. It's immoral. And until the church can, until we can wake up, and I'm speaking to myself, folks, let me just say, I'm speaking to myself. God is holy. He wants his bride holy and ready. Is to think that my eyes can sit and watch something impure on TV and not have darkness take over in my body is an utter lie. And for too long in the American church, we've played games with entertainment. Which I think it was C.S. Lewis said, entertainment is the greatest substitute the enemy has for joy. Take that to the bank. Entertainment is the greatest substitute that the enemy uses for joy. And we've played games. We think, we've convinced ourselves, and even allowed it in the church that, hey, I can sit and I can put my eyes, let something come into me where it is just impure. And think that it's not, as, Je- as Jesus said in John 17, it's, that it's not going to bring darkness into my life. Um, and so, I just, again, the gospel lens of how we see America. We serve it. We, we vote. We get involved. We try for righteousness as much as we can. But our hope is not in the nation of America. The nation of America, right, very well could be the Babylon of Scripture. I know that's heavy. Matter of fact, I've never heard another preacher even, even pro, throw that out. If you find somebody, please let me know. I'd love, <laughs> love to see. Because we're headed that way. We're just like Rome. America is like Rome. We are a Roman system. Right? And um, we'll get more heavy into that, right? But if your hope is in America, then your hope is going to fade. Right? So that leads us to the last thing. Do we have a gospel lens for how we see the future and hope of America? What is the hope of America? How would you answer that question? If you're in a conversation with people, what's the hope of America? For America. And the Bible is very clear. And the book of Revelation is very clear. The only hope of America is a revived church. Not politics, not legislation. The Bible is very clear and consistent. The only hope, and this goes for any nation. It is a revived church. That's holy and pure and brings the blessing of God into it that permeates out and pushes the darkness back. The need of the hour 
is a revived church. To be the people of God, holy before God, honoring Him and holding on to the promises of God. That is the hope of America. Love this uh, by Solzhenitsyn. As Solzhenitsyn famously observed, the line separating good and evil passes not between countries, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through the middle of every human heart. Whoa! Problem isn't Putin. Problem isn't isn't geopolitical issues of NATO. Problem is the stinking human heart. And who has the solution for the heart? There's only one in all the universe. His name's Jesus, and he's given the solution. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the evangelion. So why we have that above the door. Remember when you walk out, Romans 10, 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news to a world that is dark where hearts, not politics, only to change heart ultimately changes things in the world. It's up to the witness of God's people to bring the hope in the world. Right? And so how have we put the gospel, or how, uh, uh, have we put on the gospel so we can see? So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And, um, Lord, so much here. Um, Lord, I've been wrestling with this stuff. I know you've brought conviction in my own life and bringing it, Lord. Uh, Lord, restore us. God, the answer is right here. Let's start here with our church. Revive us, God. Revive us in this hour that we might be faithful witnesses, Lord. For your glory, God. Holy Spirit, move in this time right now, Lord. For your glory. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.